morning. Will you thank our worship team this morning? And in light of what we've been seeing going on around the country, could we all take a moment and pray? Thank you, Heavenly Father. As we look around at what is going on in our country, just even uh, just days ago, miles up the road from us in Boulder, um, in Virginia, just a couple of days ago, in Atlanta, a couple of weeks ago, um, Lord, it's, it's a reminder that what this week means to us who follow Jesus is something that the world needs. We, uh, th- there could be legislation passed and there could be all kinds of um, things that we, we do about it, but ultimately what we need is a savior for the heart. And so Lord, let us be messengers of that to whoever you bring us uh, into contact with. But Lord, we pray for healing and comfort Uh, For those affected by the shootings recently, we know all too well as a community what they're facing. And we pray for your comfort, your love, your healing, your mercy, your peace to flood those communities. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. Those of you joining us online, thank you for joining us. I know you're on a beach on spring break and you're tuned in right now. Um, And for everybody who is here, thank you for being here this morning. I am grateful to be here. COVID visited me a couple weeks ago. And so I'm just grateful to have some air in my lungs right now. And it was funny how it went because about day eight of my isolation, a couple of our kiddos got it. And then on like day seven of their isolation, another kiddo got it. And I went, you know what? This has been like 84 days straight of COVID in our house. And so next time, next pandemic, I'm just licking everybody on day one. And we're going to go through this, all right? (laughs) Uh, Please don't use that as your sermon takeaway today. That would, that is not how the sermon was supposed to begin. But uh, grateful, grateful to be here. And along with that comes gratitude for David Perez, who, who stepped in and preached the last two weeks. Will you thank him? A couple weeks ago, David shared his testimony. And if you missed that, uh, please go back and watch online. It was a powerful testimony and reminder that God is, is not up to just a one-time thing in our lives. He is constantly constantly at work in our lives. And so thank you, David, for that. And then last week, David began this, uh, as, we, as we pivoted and turned to Easter, this look at the invitations of Easter. And it's not this idea of run out and invite for Easter, although we hope you do that. What it really is getting at is that at any given time of the year, Jesus is extending to us an invitation. And David started that last week with the invitation Jesus extends to us to come follow. Come follow him. And that means a couple things. It means one, as David walked us through, turning from a life we once knew. It means turning to the life he offers. And it means turning over and over again throughout our lives to him. And that brings us to this second invitation that we're going to look at today that Easter in the, that actual holy week brings up in the scriptures. And that is the invitation to come Closer. In fact, there's one event that took place, and one verse actually sums up the entire event. There's one event that took place on Holy Week that just, it just fills out that message of come 
closer. Now, if you're on our email list, you probably read yesterday um, that there are just different stages. If you think about it, there are different stages of getting closer with somebody, right? When you first meet somebody, and it could be a romantic relationship, it could be a friendship, it could be an acquaintance. But when you first meet somebody, there's like that best foot forward stage, right? You kind of keep everything at arm's length. You play it cool. You don't want them to like know too many ugly details yet. And then you get to stage two, the comfortable stage. And I still remember the comfortable stage when I was dating my now, my now wife, Kara. But when we were dating the comfortable stage, I woke up one day and I went, okay, I'm going to hang out with her today. I'm not going to put deodorant on and we're just going to see if she accepts me. And she is still here. And so I've not worn deodorant since, huh, honey? Uh, no, if you know her, you know that is not, not true. But there's the comfortable stage of getting closer with somebody. And then there's the uncomfortable stage. And we all can think of relationships and times in relationships where we reached an uncomfortable stage. And at the uncomfortable stage, that's where a decision is made. A decision is made to either <clears throat> continue with the relationship or to run the other direction. It's kind of like uh, if you grew up 80s and 90s, you maybe remember the movie Cable Guy. Okay, it is not a movie I would recommend that you go home and watch with your family. But Cable Guy, the premise is there's a guy down on his luck. He's had a falling out with his girlfriend, and so he decides to get Cable because he needs to fill his time. And the Cable Guy shows up, and what he thought was just an appointment to install Cable suddenly is this guy who is very lonely, and he's looking for a friend. And so this Cable Guy continues to reach out to him and wants to know if they're going to hang out, and he's continuing to intrude in his life. And oftentimes, this is the stage we can get to, not just in relationships with one another, but as I listen to people, that's an image of our relationship with God at times. It's like I I was good at arm's length, and, and I'm good with the comfortable, but there gets to be an uncomfortable place in our relationship with God, where maybe we expect of him, or we sense that he expects something of us. In fact, as I think about Palm Sunday, As you look through the accounts of Palm Sunday, do you know what you had on Palm Sunday? You had some people with some expectations of what Jesus was going to do. And they wanted to be close with Jesus for reasons that Jesus wasn't after. As Chris read earlier, he enters the city. And what are they doing? They're waving palm branches. This is a sign of military victory. They're thinking this is going to be the one who's going to overthrow the mighty Romans. And we're going to get out from under their iron fist. And so people wanted to be close with Jesus for reasons like that. There are many in the crowd that would fall under that category. And yeah, it was just days later. In fact, even while they were celebrating in that moment, do you want to know what Jesus was doing? He was weeping. He wept over Jerusalem. And days later in the presence of all these Pharisees, you know what he said? He said, Jerusalem, how long, how how often I longed to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. You know what that's the language of? I, I want, I wanted to be closer to you. I wanted to be closer. And just a few days later, just a few days later on that Friday, in fact, that's where we're going to be today. Even though it's Palm Sunday, There's this one event summed up in one verse that as we read it, if you ask me, this challenges every notion inside of us of what it means to be close to Jesus. Read this with me. This is in Mark chapter 15, verse 21. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, 
the father of Alexander and Rufus. And let me pause. Rufus is, that's a person, not a dog, okay? Rufus, I've only ever known Rufus the dog. My apologies to all the Rufuses in the audience today. But the father of Alexander and Rufus was passing by on his way in from the country. And they forced him to carry the cross. Now, for me specifically, I know this raised, this raised uh, just some challenges to four different areas of my life. Because these are four areas, and I believe it's a challenge to, to all of us in these four areas. These are four areas that when things don't look the way we think they ought to look, and when things aren't going the way we think they ought to be going, you know how we usually interpret it? We usually think, oh, I'm, I'm getting further from God. It's not working out. Let me, let me read to you this part of this verse again. Because the first area that this should challenge in us is our perspective on the things that happen to us in life. A certain man, that's specific language, right? That's singling out a certain man from Cyrene. Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by. Did you catch that? <clears throat> He's just passing by. I mean, when you just read this one verse, there are so many, it just happened, kind of elements to it. Simon, from 900 miles away in Cyrene, just happened to be in Jerusalem. In this illegal trial that they put Jesus through, just happened to wrap up hours prior to this. And Jesus, this procession in which he was carrying the cross through the streets, just happened to be passing by. And Simon just happened to be passing by. And as the Roman guards, as they noticed that Jesus was falling under the weight of the cross from the blood loss, from having his flesh ripped open overnight, the night before, as they looked around and as they scanned for somebody to help him carry this cross, they just happened to focus in on Simon. Now, let me ask you a question. Is all that a coincidence? See, this is often how we describe our lives and our stories, isn't it? I mean, it can kind of sound like a series of unfortunate events. Like this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And we take this message away from it. That somehow we're unworthy, somehow we're not loved, somehow we're overlooked, somehow God wants nothing to do with us. And yet look at all these seemingly unfortunate things, unfortunate timing, unfortunate location for Simon, to put him in a situation in which he had to pick up a cross and be associated with the image of a criminal. Are those coincidences? I mean, there's certainly things we'd probably all rather avoid, right? Because we have sayings like being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But were those coincidences? See, the first thing this, this verse should challenge in us is our perspective. That maybe the things that we think of and we describe as coincidence are actually providence. That maybe the things that I think are the doing of human beings and it's just humans are awful and there are all these terrible things happen. That maybe in it is the hand of God. There's a man named Greg Van Neal who might know something about this. Greg Van Neal was a uh, Cleveland Indians season ticket baseball holder. And in 2013, they had a uh, weather postponed one of their games. And so Greg Van Neal, who just happened to be a season ticket holder, well, this game that he was going to go to just happened to get rescheduled. And so when they played the game, 
They just happened, since he, since he cooperated with them, they just happened to change his seats. And he ended up down the first baseline at this stadium, at the Indian Stadium. And in the first inning, the batter just happened to hit a foul ball. And that line drive landed in the glove of Greg Van Neal. Now, how many of you have ever caught a ball at a baseball game, at a Major League Baseball game? One? One? All right. So that's about the odds of catching a ball at a baseball game. It's one in a thousand. Statisticians have have put out there that it's about one in a thousand chance you're going to catch a ball at a Major League Baseball game. A couple innings later, another batter just happened to hit a foul ball. And it landed in the mitt of Greg Van Neal. Two foul balls in a Major League Baseball game. About five innings later, foul balls pop up. Who catches the ball? Greg Van Neal. Now that's incredible, but it's not done yet. Because in the bottom of the eighth inning, one more foul line drive landed in the glove of Greg Van Neal. Statisticians say the chances of catching one foul ball at a major league game, one in a thousand. Four, one in one trillion. And you look at that and you go, is that a coincidence? I mean, it it could look like it. You can't control where a foul ball goes if you're a batter. It could look like it. But when you think about how he just happened to be at that game, just happened to be a ticket holder, just happened to get his seats moved, just happened to catch all these... It's kind of like Simon, isn't it? I mean, isn't it true we, we look around our lives and we point at the different foul balls that have come our way? And yeah, this didn't work out. And that went south. And that didn't work out. And we create this narrative that I must just, I must just be an unlucky person. This stuff must just always happen to me. Or maybe, or maybe God's hand is in it. Even if you don't see his hand, you can trust his heart is behind it because all of this was working. All of this was working to bring Simon who literally was far away from Jesus and Cyrene closer to Jesus. That's area number one, our perspective. Second area that this verse ought to challenge in us is our plans, not just our perspective, our plans. Let me, let me point out something else in the verse. It says a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus was passing by on his way in from the country. On his way, you know what that means? When you're on your way to do something, you've got something else in mind, don't you? Now, if you know anything about Cyrene, Cyrene basically sits where we know uh, Libya to be, the country of Libya to be right now, 900 miles from Jerusalem. And Cyrene was a Greek colony. So it was heavily influenced by Greek philosophy, Greek medicine, Greek thinking, Greek everything, Greek lifestyle. So it's possible that Simon was Greek. And if he was Greek and he was in Jerusalem, it's possible that his plans to come to Jerusalem were to seek out maybe Greek influence and Greek philosophy and thought and medicine in Jerusalem. In fact, Paul said about the Greeks, he said, Jews seek signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Maybe he was there because he was seeking out a, a, a teacher somebody who would influence him, his thinking. But in this moment, he had to lay that down. Now, at the same time, Cyrene was known to have a large population of Jews. And so maybe Simon was a Jew. And he was there for Jewish reasons. Maybe he was there for the Passover. 
Maybe he was there to take part in the feast. But the moment that a Roman soldier would have singled him out and said, you're going you're gonna to put your hands on that cross, you know what would have happened? He would have been unworthy to take part in the Passover meal. Simon would have been associated with a criminal. Or maybe Simon was neither. I mean, Simon's 900 miles from Jerusalem. I mean, there, there was no Uber. There were no planes. There were no cars. So maybe it's vacationing. I mean, spring break, maybe Jerusalem's the place to be back then. But he would have had to lay that plan down as soon as the Roman soldiers singled him out. See, there's this interesting thing we do, and we've probably all used this phrase. Are you familiar with the phrase, it was such a God thing? Have you said it? I think I've said it hundreds of times in my life. And whenever I, use, whenever I use that phrase and say, wow, you should have seen how it all came together. It was such a God thing. It's usually associated with my plans working out. Everything just worked out smoothly. It was the right place and the right time and everything worked out well. And yet, I'm reminded of Jonah. Remember we talked about Jonah last year? In the very act of running the opposite direction that God told Jonah to go, Jonah ends up in Tarshish where he just happens to find a ship that he can hop on and get further away. I mean, it's, so, it's such a God thing, <laughs> but it wasn't a God thing, was it? And this is what we do. We do everything possible to make our plans work out. And so this shouldn't just challenge our perspective, but this should remind us as we watch Simon's plans, whatever they were, fall through on his way to do something else. It should remind us that our plans crashing might just be God's plan working. The, the author, Philip Yancey, he tells about uh, his love of chess in high school. And he, he, he stopped playing chess after high school, but a friend of his continued chess for years and years after that. And years later, they got together to play chess, and he said it was amazing to play somebody of this caliber because their entire plan, they could use whatever move you make as part of their plan. And, he, and Philip Yancey says that's... Exactly what our Heavenly Father does. You know, Philip Yancey said, when I tried a classic offense in chess, he would respond with a classic defense, and he would work it to his advantage. If I came in an unorthodox way and used some different sort of strategies, he could use all that to carry out his plan. See, this not only challenges perspective and plan, but it also ought to challenge a third area, and that's our picture of ourselves. Read through the verse. Further, he was passing by on his way in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. Why would they need to force him to carry the cross? Well, being forced to do something is a form of saying, that's not me. Listen, I know you want me to do that, but I'm not going to do that. Okay, it's me with roller coasters. I will never go to an amusement park with any of you, even if you invite me, because I will not get on. That's not me, right? That's, this, is, this is what we do. We say no to things, and we have to be coerced. In fact, the Greek word here says they coerced or they compelled him. Because he may have been thinking, no, that's, that wasn't my plan, but that's not who I am either. And think about Simon's situation. 900 miles from Jesus, literally far from Jesus. Simon was very literally, physically, physical distance far from Jesus. On top of it, he was on his way to do something else. He didn't even have Jesus 
on the radar, possibly. Now, aren't those excuses you and I use? We look at God. Maybe we're, we're given an opportunity for service, we're, or maybe we sense that he's just drawing us nearer to him. I mean, you are here this morning, right? Something drew you here. And oftentimes, you know what we do? We look at God and we go, ah, I'm too far from you. Or what's more interesting is Simon was, was not a disciple of Jesus that we know of at this time. I mean, why didn't they pick out John in the procession to crucify Jesus? Why didn't they pick out a known follower of Jesus? Instead, they pick out this guy standing seemingly outside at the back of the crowd. And isn't this what we do? We go, oh, Jesus, I'm just so far from you. I'm not as close to you as maybe other people. I had other things in mind. This is the picture of ourselves that we form. And yet, you know what this all meant to God? God looked, saw Simon. He said, no, now I want, to, I want you to see yourself the way I see you. I'm reminded uh, over at, our, at the elementary school that a couple of our kids go to, the principal there is a guy that I went to high school with. And when I watch him in the mornings, it's amazing. You know, we, we drop off kids and he's out there greeting families. And when we pick them up, he's out there greeting families. And I'm still, I mean, this is a few years into, in, into his time as principal. And I'm sitting here just thinking, okay, that was not who you were in high school. I mean, it was Grateful Dead shirts, hemp necklaces, VW bus every single day. And I just remember thinking, if we could go back and we could have that senior assembly where we decided the least likely to be something, this guy was least likely to end up an elementary school principal. But isn't that what happens to us throughout life? Starting at a young age. You know, the people around us and the things we're part of, they begin to tell us things about who we are. And God is in the process, as we see with Simon. God is in the process with every single one of us of readjusting our image of ourselves to his image of us. Well, there's a fourth area that this one verse, I know it's challenged in my life and it should challenge in all of our lives. Our perspective, our plans, our picture of ourselves and our preferences. Look at the very end of the verse. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Think about that. To carry the cross. Not look upon it from a distance. Not, not you know, stand at the back of the crowd, but no, get up here and hold it. And it's likely going to put splinters in your hand. And it's going to put splinters in your reputation. And it's going to put splinters in your image. And it's actually going to maybe splinter your life. Because of what happens when you carry a cross. See, that's, that's a tough one, isn't it? I grew up and I remember my relationship with the cross was not necessarily every Sunday. It was kind of an Easter thing. You know, if we had a Maundy Thursday or a Good Friday service, which we're having this Friday... That's when I thought about the cross. Easter Sunday, yeah, that's when I thought about the cross. And you know what this says? To carry. To carry it. Not to see it from the back of the crowd. Not to watch it as it goes by, but to carry the cross. See, oftentimes I know I'm guilty of wanting the cross just in, a, just in terms of pardon 
And it's absolutely crucial that we come back to that and and we're reminded of the mercy upon us every single day at the cross. But Jesus, in another place, you know what he said? He says, not just for pardon. It's an occupation. That is, you carry, I don't mean like work at a church or have a a job tied to, um, you know, clergy. I mean, no matter where you are, what you do. You carry a cross. And there's something so fascinating about this to me because many people believe, John tells us that Jesus left the trial and eventually he was carrying the cross and he arrived where he'd be crucified and Jesus was carrying the cross. But the three other gospel writers, they say, but Simon was part of this. And so many scholars based on that believe Jesus never actually set the cross down. That Jesus continued carrying it and Simon was brought in to help. Now, there are thoughts that the cross may have looked more like a capital T and that Jesus, his, his hands were tied maybe to the cross beam. And as he carried it, what they had Simon do was just pick up the foot of it so it wasn't dragging on the ground, making it even harder to carry as Jesus is losing blood and getting weaker. Or it may have looked like we think of it looking like we have here. And the thought there is that perhaps Jesus was carrying where the upright and the cross beam intersect over his shoulder. And with the foot of the cross dragging on the ground, they had Simon carry it. You want to know why that's important? The reason that's important is because Simon picking up the foot of the cross put him exactly in the steps of Jesus. Do you want to know why? The cross has to be more than something we just look at once a year. But it's got to be something we carry every single day. Because it's the very act of carrying the cross that puts us in the steps of Jesus. And brings us closer. Literally closer to him in Simon's case. If you've ever been sledding with small children, you get this principle. Right? The principle is simply this when it comes to Simon and his story, that when you carry his cross, you stay in his steps. When you carry his cross, you stay in his steps. I remember taking each of our three children sledding. And at a very young age, if you've ever tried to, first of all, climb a sledding hill at age 40, you got like two runs in you, right? Yeah. I mean, it used to be 20 when you were a child. Now it's like, uh, no, I got, I got one left and we've only done one Lincoln. Okay. But we're climbing up the hill, and if you do not have them hold on to something, where are they? I mean, I looked back two weeks ago, and Lincoln was just sliding and sliding and just sliding down the hill. And I was like, he'll figure it out. I'm going. I'm not going back down. Finally, I said, Lincoln, I'll carry the front of the sled. You carry the back of the sled. And you step where I step. And if you'll step where I step, you will climb this hill. And it's exactly what happens when we carry the cross. When we carry the cross, we stay in a step. So the question for every single one of us here, myself included, these, the question I've just been chewing on is how am I being asked to carry a cross right now? Because some of you are sitting here today and it's a perspective thing. You know, your entire life, your entire life story, your entire narrative has been built on these seeming coincidences. You know, there's a foul ball here and there's a foul ball there and then this happened and now I guess this is where I am. 
And carrying a cross is choosing to look back and just rethink the story that we've told ourselves. And to say in the midst of all of it, oh my goodness, this is the hand of God. See, we like this commandment that says love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we like heart and soul because we associate that with emotion and passion. And we like love God with all your strength because that gives us like this, this emphasis on going and doing something. But love God with all your mind might just mean a shift in perspective. To think about everything that's happened in my life is working together to bring me right here right now. Let me ask you, what brought you here right now? I mean, did you just have nothing to do in the schedule and so you just decided to come to church on Sunday? You just drove by? You just had a conversation? (laughs) Or is there something more in it? And so for for some of us, carrying a cross may mean submitting our perspective. Not to coincidence, but to providence, to the very hand of God. For some, you may be here because plans have crashed. Absolutely crashed. You never planned on being here in this church on this day at this time. Or maybe you're sitting here and plans are crashing. And carrying a cross is trusting That while your plans may have crashed or seem to be crashing, his plan is working. Because he's bringing you in line with a cross to carry in the footsteps of your Savior. For still others in here, maybe carrying a cross is just your picture of yourself. You know, you've always thought of yourself as the kind of person who, fill in the blank. The kind of person who would never fill in the blank. You, it's, it's so funny to listen to people talk. Oh, I could never. As soon as they hear I'm a pastor, oh, I could never walk through the doors of a church. And it would fall over. I'm like, well, I, I walked through. And let me tell you some stories about some other people that sit there. Just kidding. I haven't done that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but maybe it's just rethinking our picture of ourselves. Not through my eyes, but through God's eyes. Or maybe. Maybe carrying a cross is just submitting our preferences to him. That there's a situation and you see all the fixes for it and you don't like how it's going and you know exactly the answers. But maybe, maybe carrying a cross is remaining in the situation and saying, I'm gonna trust that my savior knows what's going on. And carrying a cross means I'm gonna stay in it I'm going to stay in it. I'm going to stay in it. You carry his cross. You'll stay in his steps. And here's what happens. When I submit my perspective and my plans and my picture of myself and my preferences to carrying a cross, that all fades away. And you know what emerges? Purpose. Let me read the verse to you one more time. And this has to do with something at the beginning of the verse. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, The father of Alexander and Rufus was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Years and years and years after this moment, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church at Rome. And in Rome chapter 16, he just starts going through a list, a list of names. And buried in the middle of that list of names was this name that just stands out to us. That, you know, we, again, we we name dogs this now, but he references Rufus. And his mother. And he references Rufus and his mother as two people being very near and dear to him. Now, it's not known 
how many Rufuses were walking around at that time. You know, every generation has their common names. But just from what I've looked at, it doesn't seem that Rufus was a very common name at the time. And it's very possible that Mark, who wrote to a Roman audience, was writing to an audience that might have included Rufus, the son of Simon, and Alexander, the son of Simon. Now, think about this for a minute. Simon's decision, one day, to carry a cross. You could say he was forced into it, you know, but Simon's decision to carry a cross. You know what that meant? That years down the road, maybe one day when somebody asked his children and his wife, how did you end up part of the church? I imagine maybe they said something like, well, one day, dad just happened to be in Jerusalem. And Jesus just happened to be going by with the cross. And the soldiers just happened to single him out to carry the cross. We're here. Because of that, can you imagine if one day somebody looked at your life and said, I'm here because you carried the cross of Jesus and you got closer to Jesus because you stayed in his steps and it affected not just you, but generations upon generations going forward. You know what that is? That is not human ability to follow. That is the hand of a loving God who draws us closer. You carry his cross, you stay in his steps. And so as the worship team comes back out, let me pray and we will look forward to seeing you next week. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, thank you. In all of one verse, you give us the story of Simon of Cyrene. And Lord, thank you that one verse could challenge so much whether it's our perspective or our plans, our picture of ourselves and our self-image or even our preferences. Lord, would would you give us the mind to see what you're up to? To interpret all the different things that we thought as working against us as working for you? That you'd, that you would just remind us of who we are in your eyes. And that, Lord, that we would, of course, come to the cross and be reminded of the great mercy and pardon you've given us. But, Lord, let that not be a once or twice a year thing. Let that be a daily carrying the cross, if for nothing else than to get closer by staying in the steps of our Savior. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.